Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Delegate Keith Haynes from District 44A in West Baltimore. How are you doing, Delegate Haynes? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jordan? Excellent. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done, to advance the public interest, and why? Well, that's a very broad question. Um, I think, basically, um, it's a multifaceted question depending upon where, uh, what viewpoints you're looking at. Uh, as a practicing attorney, one of the things I do is represent clients uh, in the legal system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am their voice in the legal system. And so, to that end, uh, I'm trying to advance um, or resolve the issues that which they have. And so, that's a way of helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I carry that same mantra mm-hmm. uh, in the public sector as a legislator because I'm a, the, uh, the representative's uh, voice. Collective mm-hmm. voice of my district, which I represent, District 44A mm-hmm. in Annapolis. And so uh, there are many things which I have worked on uh, to advance my constituent needs and issues. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, we basically, um, with the Hunger Free Schools Act recently, I think that was last session, we were able to pass uh, legislation which would pretty much guarantee every child in the state of Maryland uh, free uh, lunch. Not just reduced, but free. And that's uh, significant in many of our areas where individuals who are um, struggling to uh, have a basic meal, uh, which is important mm-hmm. to the success, uh, academic success of a, of a student. Uh, I recently introduced legislation which led to the 21st century school um, for Baltimore City, where we brought back $1.1 billion uh, to build new schools in the city of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Many of our schools are. Um, beyond age 50, they're outdated, uh, it costs too much to try to revamp them, uh, and we need to have 21st century state-of-the-art facilities in order to provide a 21st century state-of-the-art uh, level of education to our students. And so those are some of the things we're doing on the education front um, with students. When you look at um, individuals as far as resources that we're trying to bring back into um, District 44A, uh, there are a myriad of issues where we need just physical resources, financial resources. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very pleased to announce that um, we were able to bring back about $600,000 to uh, renovate one of the major parts in District 44A, um, to provide, which is a hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, providing activities to our youth and our young people. It's going to be transformative because it is one of the few operating recreation centers with a huge uh, multi-field rec field, mm-hmm. meaning it has several softball fields and a football field, and we're trying to revamp that and also to provide soccer opportunities as well. And so whether it's community, with resources, whether it's education with our students, mm-hmm. uh, I, I try to bring back those resources from Annapolis to effectuate in a positive way the change in my, in my district and my communities. So what is it that makes your district unique? Um, demographically, socioeconomic, uh, d- d- uh, uh, characteristics of your constituency? Because I hear you talking um, about... Uh, parks. I hear you talking about um, uh, assistance with providing um, meals 
for the students? Are these are these means tested meals? Are they are they are their families income tested, or or really can every Marylander get free lunch regardless of how much money their parents make? Uh, the legislation will allow it um, will allow every student in the state of Maryland mm-hmm. uh, to have uh, free meals. Kindergarten through twelfth grade. Uh, first grade through twelfth grade. First grade through twelfth grade. Now. I have a very diverse district. I mean, I represent uh, urban Baltimore, uh, southwest ba- Southwest Baltimore, and a little bit of central Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can go from literally um, one end of the spectrum to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, one part of my district, I have uh, a myriad of vacant homes, hmm. uh, lower income. Uh, on the other scale, I have million-dollar-plus homes and uh, and one of the more affluent communities in the city, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And so there are a diversity of issues and challenges uh, when you look at uh, where we are in the city. But one of the things I just want to point out as far as District 44A is concerned, one of the things that um, we struggle with, uh, not only in the state of Maryland, but in, in Baltimore as well, mm-hmm. uh, how do we get people employed, how do we do reduce barriers to get people from point A to point B, many of the times that those barriers exist with arrest records, nonviolent, minor offenses, hmm. and um, i.e. mass incarceration. And on one hand, you, you're balancing law and order, but on the other hand, you're trying to create opportunities to put people back to work. And one of the major uh, pieces of legislation which affected my district, and mm-hmm. not only my district, but uh, Baltimore City, mm-hmm. where we had the mass incarceration going on, I introduced the legislation that we provided for, and we passed it, of course, uh, the automatic of expungement of arrest records when individuals were arrested but not charged. And uh, immediately when that bill was signed into law, about 600,000 individuals' uh, records were, um, for minor offenses and nonviolent offenses, were, uh, were eliminated, were expunged. And that created an opportunity for people to not only get jobs but to go to school, uh, qualify for financial assistance, um, to get mortgaged, to buy homes, uh-huh. things of that nature. And so, uh, but what I found that even though the driver uh, for that legislation uh, grew out of what I was experiencing in my district mm-hmm. and in the city of Baltimore, uh, the parallel situations existed in other jurisdictions that you did not hear about on the western shore, on the uh, western part of the state, uh, in the eastern part of the state, and some even in some of my our more affluent uh, jurisdictions, such as Montgomery County and Prince George's County as well. Um, and it pops up, believe it or not, when an individual who may be on Friday night college um, may be ar- arrested, detained. When they get ready to apply for that professional license, it pops up. Interesting. And it's a barrier. So if you get a if you get arrested, even if you're not if no charges are brought against you, you have you an arrest record. You still have an arrest record, and that is detrimental to or that that traditionally has been revealed through a job application process. Absolutely. And so people potentially having been arrested for. To, due to no fault of, the, of their own, absolutely, ha, without ever being charged of committing a wrongdoing, are being inhibited, or, or were prior to your law in their in their search for employment, employment, uh, licensure, uh, whether you're uh, applying for uh, uh, 
uh, for a license in any profession, uh, applying for a mortgage, any of those things. And many times people don't know that, that they think that because they were not charged, they do not have a record. So mm -hmm. they may answer the question incorrectly unbeknownst to their, to their, to their own knowledge. Interesting. Yeah. And so uh, even though we were experiencing those things uh, on a, what we call a mass, uh, mass arrest, mass incarceration, mm -hmm. because the numbers were so high in Baltimore City. But like, as I said before, when we introduced the legislation, there were a myriad of areas across the state where this was happening as well. So it affected literally uh, uh, scores of people in every jurisdiction across the state. So I'd like to talk a little bit about mass incarceration. Now, for our listeners, District 44A is predominantly, uh, or West Baltimore is predominantly African-American, and uh, many individuals uh, experience poverty, have incomes below the federal poverty line. In fact, District 44A was the location of the Freddie Gray um, riots. Could you talk a little bit about the role that race plays in the in in, in politics and injustice? What what is going on there? What is what is this mass incarceration? What why are why, what are your constituents feeling? Are they feeling like the laws are not fair? Do you what is what's going on? Well, first of all, let me let me just simply say that. Um, um, we don't use the, the term riot. We use civil unrest because okay. it really is a misnomer as to what what really occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, but the demographics of uh, of Baltimore City mm -hmm. uh, is majority African American, or ma I should say, majority minority jurisdiction, uh -huh. and um, it can cut across uh, various demographics, uh, both uh, uh, as to race, gender, and uh, socioeconomic uh, opportunities. One of the things that we have experienced is uh, a loss of jobs, a, lo a loss of opportunity. Hmm. And people have to do whatever is necessary to survive. And so many times when um, uh, individuals who live, in, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just sort of clarify something. Yeah, uh, It's a misnomer that, that because you may be lower income, that all things are bad. And that's that's not true. Hmm. Uh, we have uh, tremendous uh, people in our communities who work very hard every single day to make their communities, their block, their neighborhood better. Mm -hmm. um, but we do, uh, as an urban area, yeah. are challenged with those who uh, would not do those things that would improve their community. And so we have to deal with that. And a lot of times it's not necessarily by choice, mm -hmm. but it's by force. Because people are forced to do whatever they need to do in order to survive. And when you don't have uh, the job opportunities there, um, uh, the education opportunities, and when there are issues with police and community relations, uh, there, there, there seems to be a lot of times that there is no uh, chance of escaping that or there's no hope. And so... The biggest driver in changing things around, uh, and in light of um, the uh, civil unrest behind this, the uh, Freddie Gray incident, is number one. Uh, many things that came to surf to surf to the surface, I should mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. as a result of the Department of Justice report and investigation, was uh, things that people in the neighborhood already knew. 
Is okay, your... So there wasn't really a surprise. Yeah. People have been saying this for many years. What were some of those revelations? Uh, well, that, that, that the police and uh, community relations are strained. Uh, that there were incidents where um, people may be uh, unconstitutionally uh, stopped, frisked. Uh, and you have to do that according to the law. I mean, according to the Supreme Court decision of Terry, uh, I think Terry V. Owens is the uh, Terry case, which uh, you have to have a reasonable, articulable suspicion. You just mm-hmm. can't stop someone. Um, is there such a thing? Does institutional or structural racism exist? I think that you will find that answer probably in every pocket of the country. So how does that affect the justice, the criminal justice system or just the judicial system? How does it affect society? Do people feel as though the blocks are stacked against them and even if they follow the law and do the best they can, they're still not going to succeed? I think that... Is there uh, despair? Well, let, let, well let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. Um, the answer in, in short form is, in many cases, yes. Um, and we are working legislatively to address that, the Justice Reinvestment Act, which we um, uh, passed, um, the, uh, this past uh, legislative session seeks to um, uh, provide uh, the resources for diversion, mm-hmm. to keep people uh, out of the system by providing opportunities before they actually engage the system, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just locking people up. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, it, I mean, we're not talking about uh, the most violent crimes or incidences, but 75% of the people who are incarcerated are literally reincarcerated because they're there because of a technical violation hmm. of parole and probation. And what's a technical pro- a violation? Well, if you're, if you're one minute late from meeting the time you're supposed to meet your parole officer, that's a technical violation. And if an officer chooses to do so, they can uh, initiate the process to reincarcerate you for that. So those are the types of things that don't really move uh, the ball forward for people mm-hmm. because it doesn't cre- op- create opportunity. And so uh, the, the legislation that we passed looked at front-loading um, opportunities with resources. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, in some cases, are incarcerated because they lack uh, the proper and necessary drug treatment or substance abuse treatment or mental health treatment. And, um, you know, when individuals, uh, such as the police, get a call uh, for an individual who may be um, acting in a strange manner, mm-hmm. uh, well, that individual may be suffering from a mental disorder, Mm -hmm. but they're incarcerated. They're not taken to a hospital. So we have looked at how we can change that and provide those services on the front end uh, as opposed to uh, incarceration. So there are a myriad of things which have come out of uh, the civil unrest with Freddie Freddie Gray, but many of those issues uh, were in existence and were just percolating uh, to be resolved and that's what we're working to try to do so you've mentioned the uh, the importance of government to create jobs what is the role of state or local government in creating jobs well first of all i think that uh, you have to recognize what uh, government can and cannot do um Obviously, there are some areas where we can create jobs by creating capital opportunities. But you have to support the business community as well in creating those job opportunities. Um, For example, 
recently, um, in one of the most contentious issues in Baltimore City in a long time on the local level mm -hmm. was providing a um, multi-million dollar TIF to a development project in Baltimore City. What's a TIF? Uh, it's a financing tool called Tax Increment Financing, which provides for uh, a development to occur uh, with um, with the, the payment of taxes uh, spread out over many many years. Huh. But the bottom line is is this that that is a state resource that is a public resource, and one of the things that the public demanded because it was such an extraordinary amount mm -hmm. was that. If this development is going to take place and the developers are going to benefit, the community should benefit in jobs. Right. And so um, um, there were um, many, uh, a series of uh, meetings held uh, 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 to discuss how uh, the city of Baltimore and the communities and the unemployed could become employed and be um, uh, involved in taking advantage of the opportunities will flow from that particular development. And so there was a commitment to uh, hire um, um, uh, Baltimoreans, um, a commitment to get in individuals who are un unemployed mm -hmm. to get them employment ready. So you provide the training, the mm -hmm. incubator for that to happen, mm -hmm. and so that there is a pool of uh, eligible applicants from which... Um, those jobs that will be created, which the, the uh, companies could, could pull from. So that's how one re, one way how the government can be supportive of job creation. And another one is is is, is literally supporting uh, uh, businesses with um, with employment opportunities. And sometimes it takes place in the form of tax credits and et cetera. So it sounds like that the first example, the state provides a tax credit as an incentive for developers to develop underutilized and undervalued land. And in exchange for that benefit, there's a an agreement struck between the state and the developer that they will hire local, and then the state will engage in workforce development programs to get the population ready to be employed by those developers. And then you'll also look around and say, how can we provide benefits to local businesses, tax credits to help keeping them afloat and employing Baltimoreans. Is that real? basically what you said? Um, there might be some nuances in the explanation that you gave that yeah. might not be reflective totally of, of the concept, but the concept is on point. Okay. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. So it sounds like a big driver of some social unrest in your district is uh, ubiquity of poverty. Well, no, what it really comes down to is that um, people uh, who are disenfranchised mm -hmm. um, have to have opportunities to be re-enfranchised into uh, the communities in which they live. And that, what... that, that occurs through uh, better community relations be between law enforcement and the community, mm -hmm. better understanding of policing um, that comes through uh, providing better educational opportunities mm -hmm. uh, in our city, whether it's programmatic mm -hmm. or whether it's um, facilities, uh, having a decent place to go to school. Um, and also to, uh, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. uh, a person can see the benefit of going to school or completing their education mm -hmm. with a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the bigger the biggest driver, when I'm asked this question uh, many times, 
is what are the issues, the number one issue facing your area, and it is the lack of jobs. And that's why we work very hard to try to bring job opportunities to our area. Let me just give you a perfect example. Mm -hmm. Recently, about four weeks ago, I held a job for uh, an expungement information on voter registration mm -hmm. collectively at uh, one of the hardest hit areas in my district. Uh, where the employment is very high. Mm -hmm. uh, we brought employers on site to um, not just interview individuals or provide information, but who were ready to offer jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, at 10 o'clock, which the program uh, event was supposed to begin, mm -hmm. um, at 8.30, mm -hmm. there was a line from the front door to the street mm -hmm. wrapped around the building huh. at 8.30 with people in line ready to apply for jobs, ready to find out how they can get their record as fun so they can apply for a job and register to vote so they can be re-franchised, re-engaged in participating through the voting process in the community. And there's, there's data that says that, you know, number one on, on just registering to vote, individuals who are registered to vote uh, the, the recidivism rate goes down about 70%. For our listeners, recidivism means returning to prison after being released for, through, from incarceration. Um, what we were doing caught on so quick through social media. Mm -hmm. I had one employer who called me about halfway through the event and said, Delegate, uh, I just found out about this on social media. Tell me how... We can be involved because I'm ready to hire 60 people right now today for a call center that we have in the city. And we're gearing up and we need to hire people. We don't care whether they have a record. We don't care um, uh, about that. Mm -hmm. What we care about is that good people mm -hmm. who can learn the skills and who are committed to doing the job. And we're ready to hire now. And I told him that, look, if you can get here in 15 minutes... You, you got a space. And I had to give them a big shout out for this particular uh, company mm -hmm. because uh, I think about 50 people walked away that, that day with a job, with a decent um, uh, wage. Wow. And How does that make you feel? It, it makes me feel that we're doing something right. Uh, and what, what was encouraging by that was that um, I saw on multiple occasions individuals who were there early and they came back later. And I, you know, engaged in conversation with them, you know, to say, you know, how is it going? Did you find everything you need? And I said, well, you were here like a little, maybe a couple of hours ago. Mm -hmm. They said, yes, delegate, you know, what, what, I'm here because I, I'm good. But I went back to get my buddy to bring him here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. And so that's encouraging. And what that tells me is that, you know, people want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. They just need the right opportunity to do it. So would you say, what would you say is the top uh, idea in your voters' minds when they send you back to Annapolis? What are they, what are they really electing you to do? Right. Well, I can't, I'm not a mind reader. Yeah. <laughs> but what I can tell you is this, is that every day um, I work to be a voice for the people I represent in my district. And you have to, I take the same mantra that I use as a trial attorney and represent a client in court. I cannot properly uh, prepare my client's case mm -hmm. unless I know their situation, unless I communicate with them, unless I know what the end result that they need. 
I can't plead their case unless I know that. So I have to engage with my client in order to be their voice in the courtroom to get the results that they need. So I take the same uh, level of responsibility in representing the, my constituents in Annapolis. Uh, I meet with my, my, my district regularly, whether it's through community association meetings, whether it's at special events, whether it's the meetings that mm-hmm. I hold, you know, listening to problems, listening to issues, trying to find resolutions. And at the end of the day, uh, you try to uh, be responsive through legislation or through resources, uh, through the budget, mm-hmm. or just being able to bring people together with resources that exist to get the result that they're looking for. And if you do that, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, number one is to take care of your constituents, and we try to do that every day. Sounds like one of the major roles that you play is acting as an as an ombudsman in a way, somebody who connects the constituents with government services, with private businesses. People know to go to you for resources, and people who have other needs know to come to you. And what you do is kind of connect the dots for different people. Is that correct? Well, that that's one way you can look at it. I mean, we have a myriad of issues, so you have to be responsive in a myriad of ways. Yeah, and it's in- interesting that you know, as a public. Uh, figure, you know, I talk about Annapolis and uh, public resources and legislation, bills introduced and, and, and passed, but also where there's opportunity to help my district, we try to do it. It's interesting that you mentioned private um, uh, um, relationships. Um, one of the biggest things that happened uh, this past year mm-hmm. um, was that um, I was able to uh, help create a site and vision center um, in one of the hardest hit areas of my district with the highest disparity of um, of, um, of diabetes um, were individuals who have that chronic disease mm-hmm. have vision and sight problems hmm. and so um, in my role as a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, we had an opportunity where a husband and wife who were simple, everyday individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, not, no glamorous job, but they just saved their money mm-hmm. over time. And they wanted to leave um, their estate uh, to help individuals who suffered from diabetes and had a resulting vision and sight loss. Wow. And so uh, we were able to establish uh, through through uh, Bon Secures Hospital, which we administer the program, um, the Vision and Sight Center. Uh, and that uh, gift uh, to the tune of about $500,000 was something that we have unseen, uh, have not seen in Baltimore as far as a private gift in the area which I represent. So, you know, you, you, you have opportunities wherever you are, you, you're located on the spectrum, be it public or be it private, to help your constituents. So... We're nearing the end of the podcast, and we've covered so much ground from police and community relations to the war on drugs to poverty and and educational needs, nutritional needs, health care needs, facilitating economic development opportunities. There's, There's such a wide, vast array of needs in your community. And yet, and, and, and it demands so much of your time, I'm sure, to address all these needs. When you look back upon all your years of service, what, what do you, what, why, why are you doing it? How are you prioritizing? How do you get through the day? It just seems like 
a a laundry list of items that will never, ever end. I mean, what keeps you going? What is it that makes you so dedicated to public service? Well, I think you sort of captured uh, the day in the life of of a legislator in District 44A. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it goes back to something I mentioned earlier, and, and that is the ability to help people whether it's in my legal profession as a practicing, practicing trial attorney or in the public sector as a representative in the Maryland House of Delegates. Um, I get up in the morning. Uh, I try to roll that ball up the hill uh, every day to resolve issues for people. And at the end of the day, which usually is very late, if I've resolved or helped at least one person, mm-hmm. that gives me the incentive to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, we can't wipe out every single problem, every single issue, mm-hmm. but we have to keep working and find ways to, to make it happen. So that's Delegate Keith Haynes, who draws inspiration from his stories, his, his, his stories of success. And yet he continues to find himself facing an enormous array of problems, but he still finds hope and success, as do his constituents, in just making a little difference in one person's life, whether it be the one individual who's been able to get a job at the job fair and comes back to get his friend, to the story of a couple who don't have much to give, but they're willing to give everything to help others in their community get ahead. Delegate Haynes is somebody who takes a moment to give of himself to make sure that others are able to get by and get through their situation, and and, and that's adequate enough for Delegate Haynes. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been episode 35 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.